The scripture today comes from Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Okay, uh, I just want to introduce our uh, speaker for today. In many ways, a person that does not need an introduction because he is on our staff. Uh, but I know that many of you are new to our church, so I did feel like it was appropriate to introduce Dr. Jay Harvey. He is our scholar in residence. He helps us out with a lot of our training, our counseling, and is a tremendous resource for our staff. Uh, Full-time, he is the executive director and practical theology professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He teaches alongside Tim Keller. And uh, just more on a personal note, um, I was thinking about it. Uh, the two of us have gone through a lot over the past few years, and I cannot tell you how grateful and thankful I am for Jay and um, not only the, the wisdom that he has been for me personally, but, uh, but his friendship as well. And so I'm thrilled to uh, introduce him to all of you. And so if we can give him a warm uh, round of applause as he moves his way forward. All right. It is great to be with you all this morning at Exilic Church. I am often, because of my work at the seminary, I'm often in other congregations. Um, and um, so it's always great to be back here. I was supposed to preach in June, but I got COVID. It wasn't anything too severe, but it was, it was enough to kind of give me that uh, COVID fog, so, and, and of course didn't want to spread it around, so um, I, that, that did not materialize, but it's, it's a joy to be with you here this morning. I just want to echo what uh, Pastor Aaron said, um, so thankful for his, um, I'm fighting with myself up here, just give me a moment, um, so thankful for his friendship and uh, friendship of the staff uh, and elders at the church, and I told um, I told Elder White, no one that manages, what is an elder? If you're new to our church this morning, an elder is our oldsy worldsy term for a church leader that's not paid. <laughs> and so, and I, I made a joke with Mike, you know, you, you, the real humanity of an elder leading worship is you're just getting right, right, versus a pastor who's doing this all the time. Uh, you just kind of feel that, and it's so refreshing, right? Because elders are often nervous about, um, am I going to be as good as a pastor? So trust me, you'll be better. Uh, people will love to hear it from their side. Um, you know, and you felt that. So it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, this morning, I want to talk about this notion of the abundant life, and that's why the question, who is your shepherd? Because there's this great statement that Jesus makes, and it's one of those statements of Jesus that you, you if you're familiar with Christianity, you've probably heard before, but it, it's one of the statements that captures sort of the essence of his ministry and purpose. And he says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus says he is the good shepherd. That he came that you would have life and have it abundantly 
and that he proves this to you because unlike those who engage with your life only to consume, to use you, to take from you, to advance from you, Jesus shows you that he loves you because he was willing to lay down his life for you, also that you could have an abundant life. Now, if you look at the first three verses of this passage we're considering this morning, this Psalm of David, you'll see at the end of this first verse, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what he means there is not that he won't have any desires, but the I shall not want means I will have no lack. Now, one way that we could describe an abundant life might be something like, I lack for nothing, right? Let's state in the negative, I am abundant, I have an abundance, or I lack for nothing. So think about it. What for you would characterize that type of life? That you lack for nothing. And then how do you get there? How do you get there? On June 2nd, Queen Elizabeth of England celebrated entering into the 70th year of her reign as queen. I don't think I see a 70-year-old person in the room right now. Um, I'm probably closest, and I'm still, I have some distance from there. <laughs> 70 years. Now, I did a, a Google search, as we were apt to do, right, about Queen Elizabeth. You know, Queen Elizabeth has 1,233 servants dedicated to her being all she can be as Queen Elizabeth. You're like, what does the queen do anyway besides keep the tabloids going? I mean, no shade on the queen. She's a wonderful, inspiring person. But think about it, 1,233 servants. I mean, wouldn't you be awesome if you had 1,233 servants dedicated to you being all that you can be? Um, and we think about, you know, what, what did we need to, to be the person we're supposed to be? And to have that abundant life, and who can get us there? Now, what's fascinating about this verse is David, who's writing this psalm, is himself a very talented person. How talented is David? David is a type of person that not only joins the book club, he also joins CrossFit. And he, and he excels in both. Not only does he join the book club, he writes books for the bestseller list that are on the book club, and not only is he in CrossFit, he alternates in between seasons of MLB and the NFL. Uh, David is, David is um, a world-renowned poet. He wrote most of what we now call the Psalms, which if you go to the literature department or the religion department at NYU or Columbia or Fordham or any of the Cooney schools, somebody somewhere is going to be studying the Psalms, somewhere. It's going to show up on some syllabus in some place especially the seminary, but point is, lasting significance as a poet. He was a leader of an empire. He led the nation of Israel at its height. He was a great warrior. So here you have a very talented person, and yet what sets David apart from other ancient kings of the Near East is the statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Why do I say that? Because take another prominent king in the Bible, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you know that um, in, in Egypt, if you were to go to King Tut's coffin today, it's in some museum somewhere, I don't know exactly which museum it's in, but there's a coffin for King Tut. And on his chest, 
you would find a shepherd's crook across his chest. Because he was considered to be a shepherd. But the difference is, Pharaoh was also considered to be a god. When it comes to being a shepherd, he was supposed to be a shepherd to his own people. So when we think about shepherd, don't think about greeting cards or pastoral scenes or trips to the highlands of Scotland over spring break or something like that. Think power. Think power. Think tanks. Think guns. Think presidential seals. This in the ancient world was a symbol of protection, the symbol of provision. So Pharaoh, with this insignia of the, of the shepherd's crook, was associated with the deity Osiris, and Pharaoh was supposed to be a mediator of all the divine blessings of Osiris, as well as being a god himself. So he's going to be a shepherd, but he has no shepherds. He's God unto himself, he's king. David is saying, this is what's so important, I, as talented as I am, as much as I have to offer, I have a king, I have a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and it's not because of what dwells within me that I lack for nothing. It's because the Lord is my shepherd that I lack for nothing. Now, in our uh, moment today in which we live, uh, there is a trend that some find exciting and some find sort of terrifying. And the truth is it's somewhere in between. It's, it's kind of a both end. And that trend is to uh, what, what in the academic world would be called expressive individualism, um, but practically what that means is there's a great emphasis on your personal agency and your creativity being at the center of your life so that you can be all that you can be. And our whole mission among one another and as a society and a government should be to maximize everyone's personal agency, to maximize everyone's personal uh, creativity, to make sure nobody intrudes on that, and to sort of have everybody be their own little kings. And you know what? There's actually a lot of truth to that. That's actually how the Bible begins, in part. The Bible begins with the statement that we were all created in the image of God. And what's unique about that phrase, image of God, is like shepherd, it has an ancient context. Pharaoh, again, in Egypt, was considered to be the image of God to the people, but only him. And what Moses is communicating in Scripture when he says we're creating the image of God is that every single one of us are little kings. Every single one of us have incredible personal agency and creativity. Every single one of us is to participate in cultivating the earth. So there's actually something powerfully true about expressive individualism. But if left unto itself, there's two big problems. One, how do we have the perfect knowledge to know ourselves well enough? What is our potential? What are our gifts? How do we leverage them? So on and so forth. How do we have the knowledge to know ourselves? And how do we have the power to overcome the obstacles or to enable us to do this work? We lack knowledge and we lack power. How do we have the power to heal us when somebody else's expressive individualism runs rampant over us and we become a victim of something in some way. So without the biblical extra, this expressive individualism kind of runs amok, as good as it is. And that biblical extra is this, that yes, you are a little king. 
You are loaded with potential. And that potential is to be discovered and exercised in relationship with your Lord, who is your shepherd and your king. And it's in that relationship that you will flourish. It's in that relationship that your creativity and agency are going to find the greatest freedom, not the greatest restriction, which is why Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So David, as great as he is, he makes this declaration that the Lord is his shepherd, and that's why he lacks for nothing. And then he goes on to describe the character of this God who is his shepherd. And he says, first of all, that this is a God who sustains. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. If you think about sheep, sheep eat grass. And then the picture here is the sheep eating the grass. And then like us, they eat and they lay down <laughs> to go to sleep. So the sustenance there, still waters. These are waters that you can either travel through and go through without drowning if you're a lamb, or you can go up to the side and drink. It's language of sustenance. This is a God who provides sustenance. In verse 3, this is a shepherd king, a God who provides healing, this language of healing. He restores my soul. Now, in the Hebrew language, soul means life, and there isn't this harsh division between mind and body. So the idea is that this is a God who restores the, the, what has been lost with us, what has been broken with us, um, the damage we've done to ourselves, what others have done to us. This is a God who restores. And then that same verse, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think one of the things that that verse tells us is something powerful about purpose that we could miss. Purpose. His name's sake. See, as much personal agency and creativity as David exhibited in his own life, and as much as you exhibit in your life, we are finite, limited people. And for us to realize the most that God has for us, we actually have to get a place in what he is doing in the world. When David says he leads me in paths of righteousness, why? For his name's sake. It's another way of saying this is for God's story. This is for God's glory. God has a plan for the whole world, and I have a place in that plan. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness to ensure that I have the abundance he wants me to have and that I also find my place in his story, flourishing. So this bit about the character of the shepherd as one who sustains you, one who heals you, one who gives you incredible meaning of purpose. That's the character of God that's the character of his son, Jesus Christ, who proved that to you by giving his life for you, that you could have an abundant life. And because of this character, David's experiences in life are altered. And the way that he experiences life is altered because of the character of his shepherd. And that calls us to question how we're experiencing things right now. And it, and it calls us to wonder, it will cause us to examine implicitly how much we know the shepherd based on what our experience is, how much we are experiencing of our relationship with the shepherd. And so what 
how has David's experience changed? If you look at verse 4, um, the first is David's experience of the shadow of death is altered. Now, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, an ancient image, walking through a valley surrounded by mountains, and who hides in the mountains? Vagabonds, um, thugs, warriors, people can ambush you. So to walk down in the valley is to be in a vulnerable position. You don't know what's going to happen to you. That's why it's not death, it's the shadow of death. Some of you have felt this before in different sort of ways. You may have felt the imminent shadow of death on a family member, perhaps on yourself. Young people encounter the shadow of death in all sorts of ways. You may have great uncertainty as to your future. You may feel there are hostile forces arrayed against you in your job, your company. Who knows what it is? But it's this lurking shadow of death, serious insecurity. It's something that is evil. But David's experience of the shadow of death has changed. He does not fear in the midst of this uncertainty and this vulnerability. Why? Because the shepherd is with him. It is, it is the rod and the staff of the shepherd that comfort. And rod there is a metaphor of protection, as a shepherd uses a rod to beat away things trying to harm the sheep. So there's power there. And the staff is about care, rescue. So if one of the sheep falls or goes astray, you have that crook. The shepherd can bring them back into line. And because of the character of the shepherd, David doesn't fear when he is in the shadow of death. Similarly, if you move down to the next verse, um, David doesn't have to have his enemies removed. So we read here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now what's going on with that? Think about a table and eating. Do you notice when things aren't going well for your life, how fast you eat? (laughs) I mean, you're grabbing stuff to eat, right? You're, You're eating quickly, you're eating on the go. When things are not going well, we tend to eat poorly, and we tend to eat very quickly. And, and some of us do that when things are going well, but, you know, we, but, but you get what I mean. When you're under stress, like, it's not the time when you sit down and have a nice banquet meal, right? We tend to have these nice banquet meals, holidays, seasons of great celebration, um, planned events, when we are assured things are already going well, and so therefore we eat in this abundant fashion, Right? Pause and consider how radical this image is. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What David is saying is, even though he has enemies lurking outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem, for example, or even though he has people after his life, his shepherd is such a God that he can sit down and eat in peace because he knows he is protected. You don't have to eliminate every evil thing in the world to have peace in this life. You don't have to solve every problem to have peace, to have fellowship with friends, to have joy. Why? Because there is a shepherd who knows more and is powerful to protect you. So you can pause from your work and come to worship and take a break from churning out all these results 
Because you're not going to get behind in life because you have a shepherd. This is a powerful image here that we would do well to let set in. Same thing with the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus constantly needs to be reforming and growing and getting more intimate um, with the shepherd. And the church um, has a lot of uh, marks and bruises on it. And one thing the church needs to remember is it, 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 it doesn't have to worry obsessively about everything happening outside the church. That God, Jesus himself, has promised that the, the church will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it as he builds his church. So here you see the character of the shepherd, the shepherd who uh, sustains, who heals, who gives great purpose, and how that leads David to not live in fear in the shadow of death, and to even be able to have peace and joy in the midst of being surrounded by enemies. And the final thing is here is we see that because of the shepherd, David has a totally different orientation of life. So in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So you get back to the question we began with. What do you consider to be an abundant life? I want to pause here and, and and ask a related question. As you think about what you consider to be abundant life and how do you get there, all of us right now are involved in some season of our lives, aren't we? It's a summer, so you may be in a season of transition where you have moved to New York and you're awaiting something in the fall. You may be in a season of preparation as a student um, or somebody preparing for a professional exam. Right, so that you can enter into a career. You may have crossed that threshold. You may be in a season of advancement. You may have come so far as to be in a season of accumulation. Now, you're piling up resources. Maybe not 1,233 servants yet, but you've got some stuff, right? Or you may be in a season of great suffering, great opposition, or great despair. All of us are in a season we tend to characterize whether or not we're having an abundant life by the quality of the season that we're in. David characterizes whether or not he has an abundant life by the character of the shepherd and his experience of the shepherd. David's life was up and down. You'd be here way longer than you preferred for us to narrate all the way through David's life. But dude had an up and down life. <laughs> Lots really highs and major, major lows. Highs like the biggest expansion of the territory of Israel and writing a literary masterpiece, lows like your son trying to kill you and you're on the run. Like serious lows, right? Serious lows. Um, David characterized the abundant life by the mark of God's goodness and mercy upon his life until he reaches the final destination, which is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We really need to reorient our whole lives. Rather than seeing our lives as one small season after another, that we're accumulating or addressing one issue after another until we die and everything ends, right? that's kind of how we tend to think about it, and then we hope for an afterlife on some cloud somewhere. But really, we think of our life in this way. 
We're busy now, we die, and it's over. The Bible would have us to reorient that picture. That we're in one long season of preparation, and when we die, it's the beginning of the rest of our lives. And it's going to be an incredible beginning, and it's going to be an incredible eternity. The Bible says we're all royalty. And Jesus, who says he came to give us an abundant life, says, I also give you an inheritance. We're called fellow heirs of Jesus, the royal king in Scripture. And we need to reorient so that we don't see this life is where everything magnificent and most glorious is going to happen, but recognize, indeed, that's going to come in the life to come. But you know what that does in this life? It makes it more important, not less. It makes it more important, not less. Because this is the season where we get to know the shepherd. This is the season where we receive Jesus and follow him. This is the season where we show ourselves to be his sheep. So I don't know what season you're in right now. But whatever it is, preparation, advancement, accumulation, suffering, opposition, despair. Who is your shepherd right now? Jesus will go on to say a way that you can tell who your shepherd is, is what voice you're listening to. He says, "Um, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Who is your shepherd? Who are you following? There's only one shepherd you can follow who gave his life for you and will promise you the world forever. And that is Jesus. But you won't ever know how incredible it is to follow him and what it feels like to lack for nothing, even in the shadow of death, in the presence of enemies, unless you actually trust him and follow him. And it's worth it because, as he says, what does it profit us to gain the whole world and let you let yet lose our lives? So let us follow Jesus, our good shepherd who loved us and gave himself for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these words of David, your servant. We pray the ministry of your Holy Spirit to let them dwell long in our hearts and our minds this day and enable us to hear and follow the voice of Jesus, our shepherd. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.